Here we go. Hello. Hello. Hi, all. Welcome. It is Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and I'm not high. Okay. No, you're not. I'm high on life. Okay. So before we do anything, this is the most important thing I have to cover today. Uh So guys, this is a big deal. I am finally free from the FEC. We are finally, finally, the campaign is closed. People will not believe this. But my Gen 2020 campaign up until today has still been open with the FEC. And it today has been officially closed. It has cost me thousands of dollars to do this because we were basically, we were screwed over by the person who we hired to do this compliance for us our entire campaign. So guys, here's the final numbers. There is a person, I'm not naming names right now. This Things will come to light eventually for people in South Florida who this is. We hired a compliance person. She was paid in the course of a year over $17,000. And I just had to pay. I am now having to pay another close to $7,000 to do the job that she never did, that she took the money to do and never told us that she wasn't doing it. The reports weren't, I had to refile every single FEC report for my entire campaign two years later. And this person knew that that was happening and never told me. And then only about a year ago, so like halfway through this ordeal, I finally get an email or or it might have even been a phone call from the FEC and where I found all this out that this, none of this was handled. And this is someone we were paying to do this job. No no point did she come to me and say, you know, I'm having a hard time. I I need help, whatever. I would have been like, no problem. We'll get you help or whatever. Never said a thing. I had to refile my entire campaign and it, it, it is finally over. And now I have to pay that off for the next few months that I had to hire basically forensic accountants to fix the mess that this person created for me. So anyway, I'm, I am I'm, free I'm, I'm of having, the FEC. I'm having a better day, I guess. But uh, if there is an excuse to, let's say, smoke it out, if that's what you would want to call it, uh, you definitely have the right guest coming on. I'm so excited. I don't normally automatically presume to smoke in front of guests. I'll only smoke if guests are like, you know, you know. I would find he, it offensive if you don't. Well, I mean, I, I know, but you know, I mean, I guess he's 18 now because I know we have like a kid in the in the room. A kid? Have a little respect. He's a kid to me. He's an adult. So he's we've a got to a me. wonderful guest who, for those of you who may or may not be familiar, the Kush Queen, who is the founder of the Kush Queen company, as well as the Kush Queen shop. Uh, we are definitely probably in agreement on almost everything related to civil liberties. And at a time like this, it is certainly necessary to have that conversation because those civil liberties are definitely being eroded uh, day in and day out. So I've never had the civil liberty to smoke weed. Well, I've taken it, but I was never given it. I'll assure you that. Well, now you do. Olivia Alexander, welcome to Generational Change. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. I love anybody called the Kush Queen. (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, it's really nice to meet you too. I feel like I've been following you on social media for a little bit now. Cool. Cool. Likewise, I, I'm not really on there, but I did do some research once he told me because he does the social media because the people are too mean and I just don't need that negative shit in my headspace. So, um, but I, I definitely now follow you on Instagram. I get those. I'm a voyeur. I don't post. Mm-hmm. He poses for us. But I do appreciate it. And I, and I love what you're doing. And I think it's really important. And obviously, I'm a huge cannabis supporter. So, yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'm, uh, I'm stoked to be here and really love all that you do. And 
Um, also, I love dogs. So hello there. That's Lulu. Hi, oh, Lulu. That's my nickname, actually. That's what really? my Yeah, funny. I'm about to get rid of her in a second. For anybody who's a $10 subscriber, you get the Lulu sticker. That's so the that's- Lulu generational change sticker. So, got it. Incredibly important. When I oh, go into okay. business meetings, I frequently ask people, you know, like, do you like dogs? Do you have a dog? And if they say no, it's pretty much donezo there. I'm like, I oh, can't do this with people who don't, you know, love dogs. <laughs> yeah, no, we're dog people. Well. So talk a little bit about, about your business, because obviously you're not just a social media person. You have a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. talk a little bit about like what you're what you're working on. Yeah, I'll give you kind of like the long story short. So it's like 2005. I'm like 18. I try cannabis for the first time instantaneously have a positive experience, which kind of like clashes with the entire first 18. You waited till you were 18 to try cannabis. Yeah, I was a really uh, what you call goody goody. I was like, uh, scared of weed. And I struggled with a lot of mental health stuff. So I was kind of like afraid, you know, as many people are like the propaganda, it worked on me. So I get to college, try cannabis, basically instantly become a stoner because it helps me sleep. (laughs) And then I start working at a medical cannabis dispensary back then. Um, and then in 2013, I started a company called The Crystal Cult. I was making like Swarovski crystal vape pens, like cool, cool weed shit for women. Yeah. And then Kush Queen was what I called the weed pen. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. Now we um, have, I think, 21 employees. We make hemp wellness products that we sell online and we're in the compliant cannabis market in California. Um, I somehow became a social media influencer, like somewhere in there. I think it just kind of naturally happened because I wanted to share that I was using cannabis online and I thought it was like a really important thing to do in order to like break the stigma. Like, why would I sell it? Why would I use it and not be like posting it? So Kush Queen has sort of evolved into this thing, like much bigger than me, but we basically just have like a really unique perspective on what cannabis use is. And I'm always just trying to like inhabit that spirit. We make bath bombs, lube. Um, we sell like traditional stuff like flower joints, but it's just kind of like a cannabis brand for everyone else. And, um, really just kind of a labor of love for myself and my partners who own the business with me. That's awesome. Do you do bath? So do your bath bombs, are they THC as well? Yeah. So I've heard really good things about soaking literal THC brand in dispensaries. We started with a THC bath bomb that we sold in the medical dispensaries and like your skin's your base organ. So you actually like absorb the cannabinoids and the essential oils. And it's like a really incredible feeling and people like they don't, some people don't get it, but if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. So yeah, no, I really want to try that. I haven't, you know what? I need to think of that the next time I'm somewhere that sells uh, recreational there, where I might be able to find something. Well, we also you know? sell a THC version online. I think that's something like a lot of people don't know. And a lot of people you don't do that. Know. Yeah. So it's completely legal to sell hemp products with a certain amount of THC. And the way that the 2018 farm bill is written, which it may be rewritten, rewritten next year is, um, when it's renewed is that it's like, 0.03% THC milligrams per gram, because you do have a certain threshold of cannabinoids in hemp. Yeah. And the best kind of hemp, if you're buying like CBD products online is full spectrum. So that means like containing THC, because we know that 
the plant all works better together. Some people get drug tested, are not, you know, they're not able to use any kind of full spectrum hemp, but we sell a THC version online. I like to tell people like, it's like, it's like lighter. Like the one you get in the dispensary is the heaviest dose. It's like, it's a heavy hitter, but you can still get a lot of products um, that we sell in the dispensaries online in sort of different doses and forms. And personally, like I've been using cannabis for a long time. Like I'm almost 35 and started at 18 and I mainly use the hemp products. Like I don't, And I mean, I do have a tolerance, but you'd be really surprised how high you can get from hemp. Let me tell you, if you think you have a tolerance, 51, pretty much been smoking since. And and I was not 18. I was significantly younger when I first smoked weed. And I'm not suggesting that. I don't think that's good. Our brains are not developed at that point. Maybe that's what some of my issues are. I don't know. But um, (laughs) And, and I'm just an, but I'm like, I'm a middle over middle-aged pothead. Like, that's just about it. Like I'm sitting here in my Birkenstocks, like this is not, you know, and so when, and to me, the idea that basically the entire time that you've been smoking, there's been legalization. Yeah. So that's what's fascinating. I've basically, I only had like a plug, like I only illegally bought weed for maybe six months. And then I realized that there were like medical shops all over California and I went and got a wreck. And then I basically was like in the medical marijuana. Now California medical then was very gray area. You could like kind of have a license, but it was still like cash. And then in uh, 2018, that's when it really went like fully legal. Um, but it's really been really interesting to see sort of me going from the black sheep of the family, like she's selling drugs to then like, oh, you're like in the legal weed industry. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's really the one thing I kind of didn't expect was it to sort of happen so fast. Cause now we have like legal cannabis access in a lot of States, medical in a lot of States, um, and it just seems to be one thing everyone agrees on. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a very broad spectrum thing. It is nonpartisan. Most people, even people that are what we would call conservative, don't really think that this is, is, is an issue that people should be care. Like this is not on the forefront of people's minds. There's not a whole lot of weed warriors anymore. They're definitely dissipating. Yeah, there's a couple, big pharma mainly. Cause oh, no, I mean, in the their profits, but as far as like, yeah, politically, like, no, yeah. Seems, um, I mean, you'll hear random people every now and again, but it really has become something that is kind of united people. And in all yeah. these like crazy elections we've had like the last few years, like the one thing that keeps winning is weed. So it's good in some ways and it's bad in others. If I'm being, you know, completely honest, like we, I believe in decriminalization and I'm a part of a legal industry and even I'm kind of against how it's developed and what's happening seemingly all over the country, unfortunately, because it's really leaving out the majority of people and it's not giving everyone an opportunity to be a part of the industry. And I think like, that's the bummer of it is that I was kind of like young and I had these like vision of what cannabis was going to be and legal cannabis. And we were going to change the world with this plant. And unfortunately it's really dominated by corporations, um, especially in Florida where you guys are at. 
Um, and yeah. it's happening pretty much all over the country. And it's, it's a bummer. The California industry is a bloodbath right now. And, um, somehow I snuck in, but it's, um, I really am an anomaly and I always warn people, you know, cause everyone wants to be in weed <laughs> and I'm always like, be really careful because this is an industry for big business and there's mass consolidation happening. And, um, we voted for, we voted for progress, but we voted against our own interests at the same time. Well, that's capitalism. That's, it, not, well, that's it's where not a problem. It's a capitalism. I know. Problem. I was on a call with a guy last week, bless his heart. And he's all, you know, we're a community. We got to help each other. And I said, Joe, this is capitalism, baby. And he said, oh, that's so dark. And I'm like, but it is exactly what it is. And that, that was like a big moment for me whenever my company started to get a little bit bigger. You know, I thought I was really going to be out there helping people heal, helping people get off of pharmaceuticals like myself, helping people change their life. And for the most part, you're just, it's a commodity now. You're, yeah. you're just running a business. And so that's been, you know, a bit challenging for me because I'm in it from the heart. And that's like, when you love it, you kind of like, it hurts a lot to see some of this stuff happen, but um, capitalism has its grip on cannabis now. But I think in some aspects, that's what's going to bring forth that federal change. And that's really what we need, um, especially to get a lot of people out of prison, um, because there still is so yeah. I think like 40,000 people in, in jail at a state level. Um, who are just sitting in there for cannabis crimes. And it's just unbelievable that they are in prison for what I'm doing every day legally. And I've done for like so many years. Yeah. And let us not forget everybody that with a, with a pen, Joe Biden could absolutely help 2,500 different people and their families by commuting their sentences and pardoning them and getting them out for nonviolent drug offenses at the federal level. Yes, that's 2,500 people that he could absolutely let. I mean, he has no control over the state issue, but I have to at least put in a plug there that Biden could absolutely, he just, you know, if you decriminalize cannabis and you don't simultaneously do that, that def th th that's not justice, right? Well, like we can't have that. It's been very interesting, you know, especially with the Brittany Griner thing, them getting her back and everything, which yeah. obviously we knew she was being used as a pawn. But I was really hoping that that would kind of force actually like real progress, like things that people can feel and see, because like at the end of the day, it's just people's lives, you know. And the last thing that I like think and believe is that we should be putting people in jail for a choice that they're making with their bodies using using cannabis or using drugs. Obviously, I'm I'm pretty pro drugs. I'm not pro drugs, but I'm just pro liberation I'm, I'm thing. let me just go there i'm fucking pro drugs so no it's I, all good i i really believe that we need to legalize all drugs obviously i have a very like strong opinion i know some people whoa olivia whoa but it you know yeah. i've spent my fair share now with a lot of people who have spent years behind bars who are real drug dealers you know people who wouldn't would never say oh, i was in medical marijuana people who would say i was a drug dealer yeah and a lot of them are great people and a lot of them are really just, they just didn't have anything else. And, you know, it really blows their mind now that this has like become a legal industry. And now there's, you know, decrim with psychedelics happening all over the country. And it's just like, it's just really an interesting thing that we're doing right now and a really great opportunity to 
cause actual change. And it's just like, y'all are missing, missing yeah. that point here. Yeah. We recently had on, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Carl Hart. Of um, course. Okay. So we recently had him on to talk about his book and, um, which I listened to the audio book. He does his own narration and yeah, I've always been libertarian with that. Always, no matter where I ever have been any way else politically on other issues, I've always thought that I don't understand why somebody putting drugs on their body is a criminal issue. It could be a medical issue. It could be a health issue. It could be a social service issue, but I never understood why it was a criminal issue. It's profitable. No, I know because it's no one's better to it than him. You know, that it is, um, it is a scapegoat for most politicians that it's a, um, it's just an expression of, of government failing people. You know, I, I have sat there with person after person and, you know, even myself, like I come from, I'm, I'm, my family's from Louisiana. My parents don't have a college education. You know, I really just was trying to make money. That's like how I got into weed and I love the plant. So it made sense. And, um, I used to feel like super insecure when people started showing up to the legal cannabis industry or medical industry with Harvard degrees. And I would be like, what the fuck are you doing in this industry? Like you went to Harvard and you want to sell weed, like, or just a lot of like rich people and rich kids, you know, like, I just don't really understand that part, why we're not actually trying to, you know, spread it around. But we know like, that's not unfortunately what people do here. And I'm an idealist and I'm like, but Hey, we can have an industry as diverse as the people that use cannabis. And people are like, no, it's just going to be old farty white men who came from the financial industry now, I guess. So well, here it's John Morgan. Here it's Morgan and Morgan. They want to be the, the, he wants to be like the Gestapo of cannabis in Florida. That's like his big big tobacco too. You know, it's like, I've had my dances with some large tobacco companies who've wanted to acquire my company. And it's just like, you know, really interesting to see the, the way that it's, it's transpired over the years and the way they come float in and they, they literally have more money than you could ever imagine. And they kind of put it in front of you and you're just like, am I going to make this decision? You know, like it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, they're all here. I mean, even a couple of days ago, there's an article, they've been trying to prove it for a long time that the rush, like there is a Russian oligarch who has funded the largest cannabis company in this entire country with like really dark money and they've been denying it and it's all true, you know, and it's just like, there's a lot of people from organized crime in the legal market. And of course they have the skill and the financing to navigate, like you were talking about the beginning compliance, the word that yeah. I hate most in life. Every time I hear that word, I'm triggered. Oh, um, I, I'm going to have PTSD. Like I, I'm honestly going to have it from this whole experience. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. So it's just, it's really unbelievable to see how much bureaucracy it is, how much red tape it is, what like the regulation is. It's just so not what I thought I was signing myself up for when I started my company. I'm always honest about that. Well, anytime an idea comes along that can potentially create a massive amount of wealth, uh, because we live in a country, no matter what your state is, you come from a super red state and now live in a super blue state, but the only color they see is green and they see it at the very top. So when corporate special interests sink their teeth into anything, it is eventually going to become a non-monopolized industry, which is always the intent. So for somebody like yourself, who is a true small business owner, 
I love that. Don't sell. I mean, I hate to say that because, you know, I, I'm sure there's such good financial. Have you seen the Simpsons episode Tamako from way back in the day? No, but I need to watch it. Okay, now you gotta watch. <laughs> everything gotta for watch him that. has a Simpsons ep- reference. Well, there is a Simpsons episode for everything, and they predict the future. So I should probably be watching more Simpsons. <laughs> as far as we're concerned, oh 150 million is a slap in the face. The least we can accept is 150 billion. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know. I've had my I had my first not real acquisition offer, but my first flirt, like the first time someone came to court me. Yeah. And um, I think my NDA is expired by now. But basically, the CEO of that company, which is like a large Canadian uh, publicly traded company, he was on the cover of Forbes saying like, I don't smoke weed. I'm the CEO who doesn't smoke weed. And that was like what they put on the cover of Forbes. And around the time, I thought it'd be a great idea to write a blog that was like, I will always smoke weed. I smoke weed at my desk. I smoke weed when I wake up. I, I am always consuming cannabis because it's my medicine. And it's like super important for me to stay balanced in my mental health and to like deal with being a small business owner. And evidently like the half the company was following me on Instagram. They were, the guy was like, I'll never do a deal with her. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, I didn't even know I could ruffle someone's feathers that much with a blog post, but okay. But yeah, it's like really interesting. Like I always tell people, I'm like the number one thing you should start asking also about like what company you're supporting in cannabis is like, do they even smoke weed? Because a lot of them don't. And they're proud that they don't even know the plant and super bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, it, there's a lot of industries that are like that. And the best examples are Wall Street. You, you have these corporate raiders that invest in these companies. They don't even know what they do. The only thing that matters to them is, is this going to provide a return on investment? And how big of a margin is it going to give me? California is a great example of that. And there's so many industries that are in California and the people that are involved. It's very that's the thing. That's why I love ragging on California, because everyone likes to say, oh, it's so it's so Democrat. I'm like. It's corporate. It's corporate. I live in Orange County and I live in Dana Point, California. My business is in Orange County and yeah. this is the most red state there is. And they have right more now. control over our businesses. They tax us harder. I mean, in this city, I can't breathe without the city of Anaheim knowing it. You know, and it was a big thing for me. I used to run my business in an area in LA that I would say is more like kind of a free for all because it's such a big city. It's really hard to control what people are doing. That's just the truth about running a business in LA. Like my landlord knew what I was doing, but the city of LA didn't. And then we got like sort of news that Orange County was going to actually provide licensing first. And so we moved the business and moved the hemp business to Anaheim because the tax rate was better. And then I very quickly realized like Disneyland is here. (laughs) So this city is, they're watching everything you do. They're charging you for everything, you know, and it's just like, if my alarm goes off on accident, I get a bill from the city because the police had to come. I think that also, I'm taxed to death. It's crazy. Like, but I always tell people, I'm like, California is as red as they get. People just don't know it. Right. Well, it is in terms of controlling business. It really is like that. Like, you know, I think our whole concept of red and blue is kind of warped because I totally understand what you're saying. I have a very good friend whose husband um, for a long time was the head of housing and urban development for L.A. County and had to deal with the politics in L.A. And he is somebody that would probably identify as an independent, probably does tend to be more conservative. But overall, his whole goal was trying to help people get housing. Like this is why he was doing what he was doing. 
and the obstacles put in place by the people that are supposedly the Democrats were off the charts. They made everything more difficult to do um, for, and this is for a state operation. So I can't imagine that it would be any different for a business. Like it's not, they're not progressive about helping people have businesses, especially small businesses. No, I honestly like wonder like every day if I should leave and I'm constantly like, am I crazy to run my business here? And people constantly tell me in meetings like, oh, you'll be three times more successful if you move your business to Florida, move your business to Nevada. Um, it's hurting you being in California. You know, I hear it all the time. Um, and it's just like, it's just one of those things that I haven't quite, um, done the the big leap yet but it really is hard like I don't want to play a violin because I choose to do this but okay. it's actually hardest to be the employer because I see my employees and I have employees in other states and when I run the payroll because I do stuff like that myself I see what what's happening to them and I think like that's the biggest bummer is that at the end of the day like almost half their check it just into thin air. Yeah. Um, and it's just a bummer because there are a lot of them are young kids, you know, and it, they're just trying to like change their life. And it's, um, especially with the way they regulated cannabis right now, you know, the biggest thing that's hurting the legal cannabis industry, because I think it's really important that people know legal cannabis in California is failing. And it is yeah. failing because of the way they've regulated it and the way they're taxing it. And the industry doesn't have a chance. And this year is going to be a bloodbath unlike anything I've ever seen. I've seen mentors, people that like I, I saw have a moment in cannabis and that made me feel like I could do it, especially a lot of women. They're gone from the industry. Their businesses have been taken from them. And it's unbelievably challenging to survive. And like the fact that the state believes that people are going to go spend an extra 40% to get high and choose that over their weed man, who they've probably been buying from for years or a local dispensary, oh, yeah. or you have a you have all these cities that they had the opportunity to have legal cannabis and they said, no, we don't want it. And so there's only certain cities that said, okay, come one, come all. So you have 10 legal stores on one strip where they're 10 illegal store or non-licensed stores. I don't like to say illegal because like whatever, um, not paying non-tax stores down the street and nothing's happening. And it's just, it's what's going to happen in New York. Um, it's what's happening in New York. You walk down the street in New York, you don't know what's legal and what isn't legal. But when you get to the counter and you pay, you're going to know as a consumer. And am I supposed to believe in this economy that people are going to choose to give the government an extra 40%? Because it's not going to the operators. It's not going to the farmers. The Emerald Triangle has no. been decimated. Um, you know, and we have history here. Like there, there are people like I'm in their store, I, these guys, and we were just talking at one of these cannabis events. They're like, you know, my family has been doing this for three, four generations and it's just unbelievably sad and tragic. And every single day I'm literally like in all of this, none of us considered what if people hate the government so much, they don't want to give them a piece and there's a lot of that going on right now here because there's, you know, or it's like, isn't it their job to convince people to buy legal weed? I mean, they've done some like weird campaigns about safety, but like how many people have really gotten sick from their weed? 
Nobody gets sick from weed. Well, people, I do. people do. There, there, there are people who do, but they want you to believe the fear, you know, like the mold, the pesticides. If you don't have a $700 lab test on your weed, you could get sick. How have I lived all these years without this? There's also right. the danger of, How have I survived? There's also the danger of synthetic weed and things that are on the street. But remember the intention. This is why, like when we talk about See this, it's not, it's definitely not rated. It's not fancy. It's definitely not expensive, but it's just right there. Well, the other whole- side of it is you can't touch it. So when you go to like your weed man, maybe, I don't know where you get weed, but they pull it out you smell it. You used to smell it in the jars. No, my guy delivers, but they yeah. They regulated on. it so hard that you can't touch it. You can't smell it. I mean, they have these like weird containers that you can kind of like smell it. it. Yeah. But it's also like, how are people supposed to buy something that's so based on your senses, that's so based on the smell and it's just crazy. And it's just, I, I keep saying every day, I'm like, you guys, I don't know where this is going, but I am deeply concerned. What do you think the solution would be? Like, how how could this get fixed in a place like California? Can I share a thought, please? You can share a few. One thought. So what you also have to remember is that you've got two major industries that want no part of this succeeding. You have big pharma and big alcohol. You are in their way. And the longer that you stay around, the more people are not going to drink and the more people are not going to take Percocets or God knows what else. Because if you're taking cannabis, it can solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. It costs a lot less and there are no health side effects anywhere near what alcohol does to you or what pain pills do to you. So when you when you look at it that way, and when you look at the fact that so many of the major pharmaceutical industries are based in states like California, my home state of New Jersey, they will go to great lengths to screw you. Well, I felt for a long time that it might have just been set up to fail because it surely feels that way. And when you see the largest companies and who are lobbying against legal cannabis to this day, you can see who they are and why you're exactly right. Because we know statistically that when legal cannabis is available or cannabis is available, people use less pharmaceuticals and they use less alcohol. It's, it's, it's fact. So um, it's, it's just unbelievable. But the biggest way that they can fix the industry right now is to freeze any tax or lower it very, very low. And then they basically need to to lower the barrier of entry. It should be easy as starting a lawn business to get a license, but it's not. You literally have to bake. I mean, what's crazy is like, also you have to get a physical location and pay rent before the license. So you could be paying rent. I know operators who've been paying rent on dispensaries that are not even open or operational for years. Um, the licensing fees to apply for a license sometime are six figures, 150,000 non-refundable. Um, so, but they need to just, the state just needs to freeze taxes for a minute, go around and get everyone in. And these cities have to stop banning it in their city because it's there anyway. I mean, I was at an event and I was speaking on a panel this summer and I was a little, I was a little hyped up. I was a little high shit. And the lady from the DCC, the regulatory board body was there and she's all like, do you guys know how many states or how much of the state doesn't allow legal cannabis? And she's like, 65%. And I literally loudly heckled her and I was like, oh, it's there. Even if they're not allowing it, it's there. You know, and oh, I think it's always there. 
the bummer is like, I can show you the illegal dispensary in my neighborhood. You know, it's like every, they're right there. They're out in the open everywhere. It's everywhere. And so it's, it would take a lot, but there, there's no enforcement. And then now you have another compounding problem, which is like unbelievable amounts of robberies of legal cannabis stores every other day. Um, and their, their banking is opening up like my bank in particular does bank THC and hemp CBD, which is amazing. And you can see the little graphs, like banking is getting better, but they're just making, they're just making it worse for everyone. And I, that's why I keep saying, I'm like, guys, where's this going? What's going to happen? I don't know. It, I think maybe they just want mass consolidation and they just want a couple big players to deal with. Well, that's their biggest issue with it all along. Is it something people can grow at home if they really wanted to, and they have no way to actually control that and profit from it. And so therefore we can't allow that. Um, And that's not any surprise to me at all. And I think that it's like any other industry. It's even how I feel about like produce or meats or whatever. I'm always going to want to go to the small little farmer, the small person just doing their thing instead of some big box store, some big produce, you know, play. I have a crazy theory about that. Yeah. Because recently, um, it came out that, uh, there was the first like OSHA fine for a dead worker in a cannabis facility. Her name was Lorna McMurray and she died in a truly facility. Um, There is like a very dangerous thing that can happen in a large facility where you can just get a black cyst. You you don't even have an allergy to the plant. You could even smoke weed your whole life. Right, right, right. The live matter and then boom asthmatic, almost dying. It's happened to one of my partners before. I've seen it with my own eyes. So this girl dies. And then now there's all of these rumors about all of these dead employees at different cannabis facilities. I can't say where because it has to be on record or I will get sued and I'm not right. No, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lorna is the one that OSHA has fined. That is fact. It is true. But now there are all these other rumors about what's happening. And what I believe is actually, I mean, at a large scale, you don't have fire weed. The connoisseurs, the best cannabis is grown boutique. You could probably grow better cannabis than you can even get in a legal store in in your yard in Florida. Um, But I believe at a large scale, cannabis in, in business is actually dangerous. The plant doesn't like it. The weed sucks. I mean, that's another reason why people go to the black market because it's better. It's literally like the mids and the lows and the terrible cannabis that they're peddling is because the plant is extremely problematic in a massive facility. And then the larger scale the operation, the worse the quality is. So they know that. That's why in, in when they're legalizing in places, they lobby against home grow. They yeah. lobby against it in hopes that maybe it'll happen. It never does. But it's just unbelievable to see this happen in real time. And unfortunately, the average consumer, the average stoner, they don't know any of this. They don't have time for any of this. No. And the truth is it's expensive. Like, so here in Florida, we have medicinal marijuana. Um, I did get a card for a while when I was running just for the shits and giggles. If anybody were to question what I was doing, I at least say I have a card. Um, that, and it was expensive to get the card. And so then when it got expired, I'm like, ah, screw it. I don't care anymore. And so, but I never got my cannabis that way. First of all, it's more expensive. Okay. So there's that. 
And second of all, I have to drive out. I, I, like I said, my guy delivers. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. And you know what? I'm an old pothead. We never had choices when I was growing up. There wasn't indicas and sativas. It was whatever crap you got. And we were happy. We were happy. So <laughs> I, we were very happy. So and again, now, granted, most of the weed quality I get is infinitely better now than it ever was back in the day. But it's really just as good what I get that what my husband and my husband will get like his edibles at Move. And he likes Move. I don't know the difference of any of these places. But yeah, they're just giant weed monopolies. That's all that's all it's going to be. They're ruining it for all of and most of them are not potheads. And this is why I say constantly in the political sphere, progressives and libertarians have a lot more in common than they're willing to admit. There are these trends that are very clear, especially when it comes to civil liberties, when it comes to things like war, when it comes to things even like in many instances, economic opportunity, although the libertarian right tends to be very kill or be killed type attitude, which just doesn't work in a civil society. But the point is, when it comes to support for small business and succeeding, progressives and libertarians choose the little guy over the big guy almost universally because they know that the big guy's intention is to crush the little guy every time. It is no different than in the political arena. If you go up to Sacramento and you take a walk around uh, you know, ca- the, the, the state capitol, what you will find is almost every old white guy in a suit is a corporate lobbyist. That's what they're there for. And odds are they are lobbying on behalf of industries that are trying to crush yours. And that is what people need to learn. And so in some instances, I would say, yeah, well, look, if they're offering you 20 million and they want to buy you out, I mean, I can certainly understand this idea of like, oh, you know, I, I, I had my run. I did what my I dad, My dad, take the money and run. Take the well, money. But there's, there's a certain amount. It depends on what it's worth to you in terms of your feelings about it, your enjoyment. And is that worth the sale to you? And a couple of summers, I go to North Carolina every summer. And the summer before last, the place I stayed, I stayed in a camper on a cannabis farm. And um, I was so happy there. I was so happy. It was so good. And this is like a small little, it's a guy, you know what I mean? And it's just, but it, but the stuff is so good. It's like yeah. the best. So, I mean, like that's definitely better in a small operation than whatever it is I'm going to go be able to get from whatever store around the corner. And I think it's- The plant knows, you know, they are like, they are alive and it is a plant and it is very fickle and- um, it knows. And I think that I, I want to believe that quality is going to win. I also want to believe that there's a huge shift coming generationally. And I think that this, these next generations, millennials and Gen Z, like they don't fucking give a fuck about a lot and they surely are discerning. And so I like to hang on to that, especially because like the fastest growing demographic of cannabis consumer is a Gen Z and millennial woman. So that's like my people. (laughs) And I like to think that like all of these men in suits and all of this money and all of these degrees and all this bullshit has given me an opportunity. And like, that's why Kush Queen exists. Like that's what it symbolizes. And like, I was, I was in a meeting with a company who's definitely considered big tobacco and I was really on one and they were trying to tell me that the valuation that I wanted wasn't enough. And I said, you know, like, look, that's my, that's my number because I'm the mocking Jay. And I know my partners literally wanted to crawl on the table and die. Cause I like reference fucking the hunger games. Hunger games. 
that's what I think, you know, and it's just like, I, I know it's true because the way that people like come up to me at cannabis events, especially and say like, you know, like, don't fucking give up, like, just keep going because like you matter to all of us. And, but it's just like, you know, for me, I will run this business as long as I possibly can. It's just, I can say like the last three years with COVID, with, uh, inflation with everything. It's just been like harder than it's ever been. And we we're not a company that has like cash injections or even investors. I own 85% of this company myself with my partner and my cousin's wife. So we, we want to believe that we can, you know, we grow a little bit every year, maybe like 10%, which even in this economy is a lot. And I want to believe that we're taking the road less, less traveled. Um, but it surely is, there, there are moments like I would lie if I said like, there weren't moments where I was just like, I need to just completely get out of this and go live in the woods, grow mushrooms and weed and like hang out with the trees and maybe have a baby and just like, you know, (laughs) you were good until that you just killed the dream right there. Uh, The baby won't have bring me peace. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, so it's the opposite of peace. So actually. people wonder how you even bring a kid into this world. Oh, uh, well, there's that. There's so do you do you grow like or, or are you just doing like products? So in my like in the past, my partner and I had a grow. We grew the plant. I learned how to extract it. We used to have like an this crazy $30,000 extractor that my aunt gave me a loan to buy, which is hilarious. Like my uncle and my aunt, I'm like, Hey, can I borrow money to illegally extract weed in my <laughs> warehouse? And they're like, sure. Um, but I have a very supportive family. That's also it. Like my mom worked yeah. at Target and she was my first employee and she is the biggest trapper. I know I tell people like she is the real Kush queen. Um, and my parents, they were like really supportive of me using cannabis early on. Um, now because it is so cheap to acquire material and another way that I've been positioned to last and thrive is making finished goods. It's what we're really good at. So, um, making like actual products, it, it, right. it's something that's a skill that a lot of people don't do. And especially the way that I approach cannabis from a wellness perspective, as soon as it went legal, everything became what is called hype weed. And, um, it's just really, I don't want to call it stupid, but it's just a certain experience of, you know, like fire weed and like this really weird packaging. And it's all about like just being so stoned and like, I'm a stoner, like I get high, but the way that I use cannabis is very intentional. I use lots of different delivery methods and that's how I got off pharmaceuticals. I was diagnosed bipolar at like 22 and I was on all the fucking antipsychotics. Oh, yeah. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, I just had very, very poor mental and physical health. And I was in cannabis. I was a stoner. And that's when I realized like, oh, if you use this a certain way, if you use it in certain kinds of products, if you're rubbing it on your skin, if you're soaking in it, if you're eating it in a gummy versus, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a joint. I love smoking a bong. I have it all. But if you're like eating it and you're putting it on your skin, that's where it's medicine. And that's where I saw my life kind of evolve and change. And that's where, you know, I really saw I had a business and an opportunity because I fucking love to make products. And we really love to, um, create finished goods and experiences that change people's minds. Cause like being from Donisonville, Louisiana, 
nobody there thought of weed in a positive light. And so with the bath bomb, I wanted to make a product I could give my grandma with gummies. I wanted to make a product for my aunt who'd had a stroke, who'd been smoking cigarettes her entire life, Yeah, you know, and we have a beverage. I love minor cannabinoids. So, um, we make mainly finished goods. Our, our warehouse where I'm at right now, it's more of like a factory, if you will. It looks like a manufacturing factory, but, um, I know how to do everything. And of course the dream would be to move the business to a remote location, grow everything, grow the essential oils, extract everything there, make everything there, obviously lowering the carbon footprint, creating as many jobs as possible, and then being able to have the products, you know, come to life there and then go out into the world. That's like the ultimate dream, but you know, uh, that'll probably take me another 15 years. Um, well, and it probably won't happen in California and, and it, it, it might have to be somewhere else, I but mean, so you're, so you contract and buy from growers and yeah, have certain so people with, that you I work like. With farms. I work with amazing farms in the Pacific Northwest. I work with amazing people who produce the extracts and, um, they really help build the backbone of our business. Mostly I try to work with like, obviously women owned farms, like the percentage of women in our industry in cannabis is pretty like non-existent. And since I've been in it so long, I have seen it evolve and grow. I'm it's incredible, but um, we're going in reverse. (laughs) So I try to support women. I also, you know, one of the things that people don't know about legal cannabis is it was brought to us by queer people. And it's really important to me that I constantly honor and uphold the space and the work because it started like under Harvey Milk. It it that was the first piece of decrim in our entire country. And then we got medical in California in 1996 because of the AIDS epidemic. It was not because they wanted people to have hype weed. It was because people were dying and they needed something to give them relief in in their life. And then when I worked at the shop, it was just like all sick people. And so it's just important to me that people, um, you know, I support people who are really rooted in the history in, you know, trying to support good farmers and good people. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good people out there, but even during COVID, you know, I had vendors go out of business and it was absolutely heartbreaking. I had a, I had a batch I had to recall because people were literally getting like psychedelic high. I mean, even I took it and I was like, what the oh. fuck is this cannabinoid profile? Um, and we couldn't figure it out, you know, sent it to a million labs, but I, you know, I had to talk to a customer and I said, look, I wouldn't have ever changed my source. They went out of business because of COVID. So you know, it is what it is. Um, it's really, it's really amazing to see what we do making the products, especially the bath bombs from like literal scratch. Well, if you ever needed a good source, I have a friend in North Carolina is a nice guy, knows his stuff really well, all organic, nice little place. It's just really cute. I like it. Is that where you stayed? I stayed on. Yeah. He has, it's a campground. So I was going to say like, can I go there? It seems like, Oh, Yeah, it's called Stony Creek Oasis. And it's a a campground outside of Asheville in a place called Candler. And yeah, it's camping. Now, when I stayed there, he actually had a camper and I rented that camper. Now he's got, it's all yurts and then open campsites. Um, But then 
the back part of it is huge greenhouses and all this stuff because he does do um, hemp for the state. Like he's licensed, he's whatever he is. But then there's also the stuff. There's also the goods. And um, it's just, it's a really nice place. There's chickens running around and it's, it's Stony Creek and it's right next to a creek and it's very 420 friendly. I will have to go there and check it out. Sounds amazing. Yeah. You would like it. It's very, it's very chill. Let people know how they can find you, what you're working on, uh, if they would like to purchase your products, perhaps. Yes. Cushqueen.shop. We ship nationwide. So So I can order, I can order a THC bath bomb. You can order THC gummies. You can order a THC drink. You can order a THC just oh, not flour. Just never flour. Flour too. It, I wouldn't say it's as it, it is a, a delta eight flour, and then we'll have that. Flour, so it's not the same I as know. that delta nine flour. But we do have some delta nine gummies and some delta um, nine and eight products on the site. Um, and then they can follow me at the Live Alexander on social media. And um, also, I have written two books this year. You got to have a side hustle in cannabis. No, I just love writing. Um, And so I wrote The Essential Guide to Cannabis for Women. And that's really great for people who are looking for like a crash course in intentional cannabis use. I even will walk you through like how to not feel nervous if it's your first time going to a dispensary. When they told me to write that chapter, I was like, wait you want me to write a chapter on how people should buy weed in a dispensary? Okay. Um, and then I wrote, um, the stoner, this is a creative stoner journal and it's for people who want to expand upon their creativity while using cannabis. So it's intended that you like smoke a little bit and then you fill out the prompts and, um, I'll have to send you a, a wait, wait, wait. I think I own this. I think I own this. I actually think I bought it. I didn't know it was yours. Is it like a black and white cover? No, that one is the Pilgrim Soul one. I do know that one. That okay. is a little bit different than mine, but it is very similar. All right. I'm so, I didn't mean to prop anybody else. I didn't know. I'm like, because no, I just no, really I, high and I ordered it and it came in. And and now, and, and yeah. Yeah, so. it's it's that that was the original one. And I really just got roped into this publisher who was like, hey, you want to write some weed books? And that one, yeah. they they were like, hey, write this book. So um, but yeah, that's that's me. And I'm really, you know, grateful to come on and connect. And I hope everyone checks us out. Um, push yeah, for sure. Well, now I'm definitely because I definitely want to try like product. I don't I'm not really into edibles. I mean, like I'll do them. But at the end of the day, I'm a smoker. Like that's the thing. And at the end of the day, no matter what else I do, I'm still going to want to smoke a bowl. I was pretty anti-weed when I was growing up. And then eventually when I was working on her campaign, it was so stressful that I eventually caved and I smoked and I didn't get high, but I got very relaxed and very mellow. And I could tell any, for for anybody that has stress in their life, uh, you know, for health purposes, cannabis is absolutely a absolute good. Um, Just don't abuse it like anything. Uh, there are people who can't control themselves when it comes to different products. Not with cannabis. No, there are people who can't even control their cannabis use and they shouldn't use cannabis. It's addictive personality people. I always say this, not everything is for everyone. Everybody, exactly. Especially for people who are like stressed out, people who have anxiety, people who are considering maybe getting on pharmaceutical medication, 
you know, plant medicine is indigenous. It's been here. And there are ways that you can maximize your wellness. All of us have an endocannabinoid system inside of our body. It's regulating our most important body functions. They conveniently leave it out of science and and textbooks. But it's real and it is a huge factor in in feeling well, in looking great. And um, that was really the thing when I wrote the the first book, the the guide, I was like, holy shit, even I didn't know that cannabis could be used for some of these things. So um, I always tell people, you know, knowledge is power, especially when you're navigating cannabis. And, you know, I always tell people my DMs are open. We have a, we do a lot of consultation. You can always talk to me. You can talk to people who are experienced and, um, you can find your feeling. And I think that's really what it's about is having people know that if you want to get high, you can get high, we'll get you high. But if you want to feel better, if you want to feel relaxed, if you want to sleep better, um, and if you want to maybe stimulate your appetite or even suppress your appetite, there is so many different options for you. And it's really just about what's what's right for your body and and finding it. So that's really, that's us. So that's I hope everyone awesome. checks it out. I'm so happy that you exist. Makes oh. me, it pleases me very much. I'm very glad. I, I mean, for a myriad of reasons, but um, just the name alone, quite honestly, you had me a Kush oh, Queen. You know what? I have a Kush Queen tattoo. Oh, look at that. Yeah, not great for security. I also have like a bunch of mushroom tattoos, which are also not great for traveling uh, if you're, you know, packing. Um, but yeah, I uh, I got to check her bag. No, I've <laughs> never. You know what's funny? I, I travel all the time with weed. I always have. And the reality is they're not looking for it. The dogs aren't even trained to sniff it. And the ones they're looking for explosives. They're looking for things that are especially post 9-11. Trying like, to it's crazy. People. Yes. They're not looking for it. They're just not like, I've never had a problem ever. And yet people are still scared to do it. Yeah. If you replaced weed, if you placed alcohol with weed at like sporting events and. Oh, it'd be so much better. Yeah. There wouldn't be as many fights or among other things. Yeah. If they didn't sell in beer, they'd make up for in snacks. I assure you. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing dry January right now, obviously. And I am, you know, it's a high January because I'm, I'm drinking my cannabinoids. I'm eating them. I am doing all the things and it really, you just feel so much better. You know, there's no hangover, even just treating a hangover. You know, there's just also like stomach issues, like the list goes on and on. And so I always just tell people, you know, try it out. It may not be right for you. That's cool. But it really does benefit a lot of people. And um, there's a lot of of good to be had from the plant and, uh, you know, give weed a chance. Give me the chance. Olivia Alexander, happy new year. Thank you so much for coming on. We will definitely continue this conversation down the road. Maybe we'll have a weed panel of some sort. Uh, Oh, we can have a weed panel. I think, uh, yes, we agree. The Kush Queen is awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. And we will be in touch. Bye. Thank you. She was adorable. She was so cute. And she definitely is interestingly enough, in terms of her political disposition, seems to be smack dab in what you would consider the libertarian left, which I think is- Well, she's a small business owner and- but And yet believes very, in progressive ideals. Very much so, especially somebody who's like, I wasn't aware of the intersection between the LGBTQ community and the legalization of cannabis. Did not you know about that, Jaden? It's interesting. I, yeah, you know, I would, I would hope that the young people would know these things, but I did not know that. I mean, I know who Harvey Milk is and I know that history, but I did not know the connection between that and 
cannabis. We're going to introduce you to one more guest, and he's actually live in the studio. It will be an informal introduction. But we do have one story that we want to cover before we go for the evening, because I think this is very relevant. You know, everybody is all concerned right now about the wonderful showmanship that's going on at Capitol Hill right now regarding who's going to be the new speaker of the GOP House. Newsflash. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> But I'll tell you what does matter. Does it matter? Political theater of the worst kind is never good, especially when it comes from somebody that I personally like very much. Jen uh, obviously was uh, part of a progressive political slate uh, with Cori Bush. I do like Cori very much. And here's the issue that I have. So for a lot of people that know, obviously right now, there is talk. It's not a guarantee. But there is a very real possibility, and of course, everything comes back to Florida, as it always does. Florida. Uh, so the congressman who is to our west, literally, who borders on our west. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, off of Interstate, uh, bless you, off of Interstate 75. Where's is Naples? Byron Donalds. Okay. Uh, he's been in Congress for only his second term. Now- he is somebody who was on the Trump train from the very beginning and somebody who, you know, Trump train. he's no different than any standard operating procedure Republican. He's not he's not bad. He's not good. He's he's what he is. And so his name has been floated as a potential alternative to Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. Now, why would that be? Because the. I don't know. They could argue the inmates are running the asylum. They could argue that the court. Well, the argument. And again, we're going to have uh, the leader of the New York, the, the New York State Republicans, the, the young New York State Republicans, uh, Gavin Mario Wax. He is going to be one of our guests on Monday. So you definitely want to tune in for that. They're talking to the young Republicans. So we need to have an understanding as to exactly what it is, because a lot of the young Republicans in particular are the ones who are aggressively trying to make sure that Kevin McCarthy does not become the speaker again. Uh, so what's the what is the purpose behind Why? that? Why? What is their motive? Don't really know, but we'll certainly hear more about that. Now, what is more important to me- I'm waiting me, with bated breath. Sorry. What is more important to me is the fact that Cori Bush, who went to Congress as a trailblazer, more so than probably anybody else, decided that she wanted to throw in her two cents regarding this whole identity politics charade. So she puts out a tweet this afternoon to the effect of, for what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker. He is a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and uh, perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. Nice. And neither is Hakeem Jeffries. Okay, that's true. But that was a good burn. It is a good burn. It was nice. But what I think a lot of people are just tired of is this idea of, okay, fine. If you want to burn, make sure you're burning both sides of the midnight oil. Because if you're only going to burn one side- That doesn't make sense. Both sides of the candle. The candle? Yeah, you know. Okay, so burn both sides of the candle. Because both sides of the candle suck. (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries has made it his mission in life to crush progressives at every turn. At every turn. And yet these people all voted for him. You didn't even put up a challenge. For, well, but the, the thing is that's so interesting is that they would even really be having anybody anyway since they're no longer the majority you party. You can make the argument that, okay, well, we were obviously going to just, you know, Hakeem is going to get it because we're not going to be in power anyway. And this is more symbolic than anything else. 
all right, yeah, but then you're going to have the next fault that's going to come up. There wasn't any attempt to even put up a fight. Now, no. you want to say that, let's say in 24 or more likely 26, if the opportunity is there where Hakeem helped, ultimately has the opportunity to become the Speaker of the House, that somebody will challenge him at that time. Okay, well, then don't you think maybe there should be an indication that there's going to be a fight? So you're basically having a hot side. take about Corey for not calling out Hakeem Jeffries. I just think the take is only seeing one side of the coin. Okay. Because you're going to argue that it's historic that Hakeem Jeffries would become the first black speaker of the house when, when, and if that time would ultimately happen. Okay. Oh, they would, they would, they would scream that from the rooftops. But if the policies that are going to be enacted as the speaker of the house under Hakeem Jeffries, who's as in bed with wall street as any representative in this country, that's a problem. It's a problem. So you can't say it's this one side of the coin that, yeah, it's not good. And again, I'm no supporter of Byron Donald's, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of when are we going to have a representative government of, by, and for the people? Because that's what matters right now. So, okay, they're going to delay this thing. And apparently in 1856, they had to whip out the history books. It took 133 days for them to pick a speaker in the backdrop of the Civil War, because everyone knew that after the Dred Scott case that we were heading in this direction. So ultimately, the heads of the Democratic Party went through this type of a charade, if you will, for 133 days for basically uh, a, a more than uh, a quarter. They went through a third of the year. I am bringing up the parallels of force the vote metaopoly because I think force the vote is very healthy. We supported force the vote for Medicare for all at the end of 2020. Sure. I don't believe that just passing the buck was the right solution. And when people say we didn't have enough votes to make it so, I disagree. And let me also say, Metalopoly, besides force the vote, I would have just said we should withhold voting for her speaker just because we Nancy should. Pelosi does not represent working people. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Well, no, Nancy Pelosi represents wealthy white elitist people um, and corporatists and oligarchs. And so I would have withheld my vote from her because she's her. I wouldn't have had to withhold it to force the vote. I would have just not voted for her as speaker. When you have somebody that? like Speaker Pelosi, who on her way out the door oh. decided that I am not only, I, I'm not even going to bring oh. the stock trading ban bill up for a vote. Let me give whoever the GOP is in charge the opportunity to, you know, pass the baton along as far as that one's concerned. Even though Nancy Pelosi and her husband, Paul Pelosi, have become hundred millionaires through public service. <laughs> So that's a big problem. <laughs> that's a problem. And not be, be willing to stand up to that type of political corruption is not good. Oftentimes, when you're not cleaning your own, when you're not cleaning out your own house, it's very hard for you to point the finger at your neighbor's house and say their house is dirty. Well, your house is dirty too. And suggesting that us Democrats are unified. And all I'm thinking is, what exactly are you unified around? Well, I don't know what you're watching or what you're on, but it, maybe it's really good. Share some of it. You're not unified around a progressive- We're not unified. It's, it's not even a question of it being progressive. It's just a question of there being working class policy that well, is desperately I mean, you're, needed again, It's hard with the, not to deal with labels, but that's part of the problem. The one thing you could say about the GOP that they absolutely did, which is of course atrocious, but not surprising because again, it was set up to fail to begin with. So as soon as the GOP gets 
into any position of power, they automatically decide that the hardworking staffers, and they work very freaking hard on the Hill, that they are, in their attempts to unionize, are now going to be squashed by the GOP. They decided to wait till the last possible minute in order for this to happen, in terms of the Democrats allowing there to be any type of fight for unionization. And so now the GOP is there and they're immediately saying, yeah, we're not having this. So to say that we are really looking out for working people in this country, not happening. I love Corey. I think she is fighting for the right issues. I understand that she feels that she has to play this sort of political gamesmanship in order to curry favor. At the end of the day, you're there to be a rabble rouser because that's the only way anything ever gets done. I always say fight like a Republican because they fight. Well, and, and here's so the thing is, basically, you're saying it's like she's. She's calling out somebody, but yet then simultaneously voting for someone who's exactly the same. Which is even more interesting. And this is the reason why it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next few days, because my guess is that this will get figured out probably by the time we have our next show. And that is no matter what, right now, it's only a shot in the dark that Byron Donalds is going to be able to become the speaker. He's only gotten 20 votes, whereas Kevin McCarthy's gotten 200. So... This idea that it's automatically going to shift all the way over to him, it's going to take a lot in yeah. order for something like that to happen. So, like I said, it's it's not a fight right now that I feel is going to be endearing. It's not going to help. But remember, you are watching generational change, and we are trying to transform politics into service, which is important. We try to be as nonpartisan and as inclusive as we can be. So if you are so inclined, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as five dollars a month, you could become a wonderful supporter of our show. We are small but mighty. We are small but mighty. We have <laughs> definitely not had a lot of viewership tonight. My guess is a lot of stuff's probably going on regarding the Kevin McCarthy fiasco. Yeah, paying attention, all that good That's stuff. That's the thing. I think but everybody's live. Ten dollars a month can get you the Lulu sticker and the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker because we all know that Mansion Parliamentarian for twenty twenty four is the most likely ticket to win. I, you know, at least that's what it seems like. Right? I'm supporting Mansion Parliamentarian for 24. That's my candidate. If that's what you're betting on, maybe not. Did you see support. that? Did you see that, Jaden? This is. No, it's Mansion and Parliamentarian for President and Vice President for 24. This is my ticket. I love that. Because these are the most powerful people in the party. This Apparently. is why nothing could get done. So if then this is who should be representing the party. So we're for Mansion and Parliamentarian. I don't remember her name, but we'll just go with Parliamentarian. And last but not least, if you are a generous <laughs> giver of $25 a month, you will get, you get the Gen Change jersey. The Tri-Blend Super Soft, really awesome Gen jersey. Generational change on the back. It works. It Please works. Support our cause. <laughs> For Monday, we will have two guests. Yeah. We will have exciting. the head, as we mentioned, of the New York State Young Republicans, Gavin Mario Wax. He will be coming on to talk about the Kevin McCarthy speakership fiasco, of which he is against Kevin McCarthy. He actually would like Byron Donalds, ironically enough, to be the next speaker of the House. Go figure. And then we will also be speaking with former MSNBC contributor and somebody who has basically blown the whistle on corporate media, Ariana Peccary. So that will be a very interesting conversation as well. So that And is, she's cute too. Ariana is a very, uh, is a... She, she has a great story. She's totally a really, cute. really great story. Cool. So you guys will enjoy it. But without further ado, I am going to step aside because Jen is going to introduce you all to a new member. Are you like, are you cool with that? Are you cool? Okay. All right. We are adding 
Well, why don't you tell the audience? I, I, I what feel like, adding. I mean, we're doing this. I wish we were doing it with a bigger audience, but that's okay. We'll do it again. It's well, we're going to do a clip. So that is. Yeah. Is. So guys, we're going to be having a, a new show right. on the Gen Change channel um, that is going to be called the Gen Z Report. And it's with Jaden D'Onofrio and you're going to meet Jaden. I love that your name begins with a J. Like it really helps. I'm going to tell you it's selling point. So this is Jaden, guys. And he is a Gen Zer. He is in high school. He is a senior. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to just tell you guys really quickly how I how we met him. So we were at the DEC meeting, which is our local county Dem Club meeting following the election. And I never go to those. People know me. No, I do not affiliate. But I thought... I'm going to come out after this election and see if they've had a come to Jesus moment or any such thing. And uh, no such luck. We talked about that. Guys, go back and look at the clips we did on that. We even I think we even mentioned you without mentioning your name, Mm -hmm. because I I said something like the only thing that was was like remotely inspired was the kid who stood up. And basically you gave them a what for. He really went off on them. And on these. I mean. Could I say it's like, they're not all like old white people. I mean, but it's a retirement home. Okay. Real. I it, gotta be real. Come it's on. a retirement, it a retirement home. home kind of. So he told them a thing or two, but anyway, this is Jaden and he's going to be doing a Gen Z report or, um, you know, however, and, and, and he's going to come up with some really good stuff and cross collaboration with people and content. And I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be really, really cool. And I think it's going to be before our show and you'll decide if you want to do it like once or twice and just mm-hmm. see how it goes. So, yeah. So when you see his clips, when you see him going live, guys, check it out. You love old white people. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. And um, yeah, so this is Jaden. He's going to be uh, new here. So, guys, and he'll do some really cool stuff. I basically told him, like, think about what you want to talk about. Find people that are interesting to you. And um, also tell them a little bit about what you do, like where you're involved now, like where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the introduction. First yeah. Um, Sit up. I'm coming up. Sit up here. Um, Talking there. Yeah. So I did. um, I actually started uh, two years ago. My first thing. uh, When I first got involved was when Donald Trump was uh, president. Um, when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening. And I vividly remember um, when he cleared out Lafayette Square of all the protesters yeah. uh, and just absolutely destroyed a peaceful protest. Also, he could take a picture of the Bible. Right. I mean, I thought that was crazy. Um, and from there, I was like, I need to get involved. And um, I'm very progressive myself. Um, from there, I did a few internships, but I really got going on a few campaigns. Um, now I lead uh, the Florida operations for a group called Voters of Tomorrow, which is one of the only Gen Z led organizations in the country. Uh, we really made a big difference in the past election in helping specific uh, districts and Senate races. Um, I'm also on the executive board as the deputy strategy director. So basically, I pick out which districts we need to play in the most to help out progressives um, to truly represent Gen Z across the nation. Um, and then also, uh, typically we are nonpartisan, but we don't like Republicans that much. Well, you're, you're, here's the thing. You're, it's just, you're not likely, and like, and everyone knows, like for me, it's about if you take corporate money or you don't, if you're trying to represent regular people, because the reality is, and there's somebody who's a follower of our show and a guy that I've become friendly with, and he was running for commission in Cape Coral. This is definitely someone who's a Republican. He's pretty conservative. Um, 
but so is his district. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my big thing is that people need to represent their constituents, whatever that looks like. And if you're not taking corporate money, then you are accountable to your voters. So then it's really not my, I don't necessarily even care what all your policy issues are if you're representing your majority. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like that's the key thing to me. So it isn't really a Republican thing, even though, no, I don't agree with them on policy, but if that's what your people are, then that's what you need to vote, right? Like that's in theory. Absolutely. That's my, that's why I will platform it. It's not about that. I agree. Yeah. It's about, but if you live in a conservative place, you should be a conservative representative. Absolutely. That's, I absolutely yeah. agree. You need to represent your community that elected you. Right. Um, and that's what we were really trying to fight for across the nation. We really wanted Gen Z to turn out as much as possible so that they can be represented by their community le uh, leaders that they elected. Yeah. Uh, and typically Gen Z is very progressive and that's what we wanted to fight for the most. No, it's um, awesome. So that's what we fought for. We're glad to continue fighting for that. Um, and so I'm check that out here. What's the name? What's the name of it? It's I, called Voters of Tomorrow. Voters of Tomorrow. And what's the website? Uh, Votersoftomorrow.org. So guys, check this out. A few bucks in if you want. Well, you yeah. Know, I mean, <laughs> look, these these are Gen Zers that are out there trying to actually fight against. I mean, you're fighting so that regular people get representation. You're yeah. fighting so that Gen Z issues are being recognized. It's not particularly partisan, but based on the fact that it's Gen Z, it tends to be progressive. Um, but the point is they're fighting for their voices to be heard. And the reality is people my age and older, in a lot of ways, we've created a disaster. Um, I, I take my fair share of responsibility. I voted for Bill Clinton twice. I own that. You know, and I, I feel bad about that. I even I feel bad that I voted for Obama the second time, but I did. And it, it didn't help the situation. So I apologize. I apologize to you, Jaden. Look, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> Everyone's doing the right things here. I love it. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So yeah, thank no, thank absolutely. And, and you know what? You'll get more comfortable. You'll grow with it. You'll get an audience. And I was thinking about this. This is a really good resume thing for you. It, it it's a be. really good it college thing for you. It might be. But, you know, the best part about it is I get to speak with people like you and Peter and everyone else that's here um, and really discuss the issues that are at hand. I think that's the real thing here, especially in our community. Like when if you go live, remember, you will also be able to you could take questions. I just speak with people and yeah. stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I love totally. That. So. All right. Let him come back. All right. You want to wrap? Do you want to do any of your people? Are you done? Do you have any more rants? Are Peter's you good? done with you guys. He's, He's done. done with you. So guys, um, anyway, we'll, we'll see you on Monday. Are you going to come back and say bye-bye? Say bye-bye. And that's what we're doing. We're promoting the next generation. See, and here's the ultimate ulterior motive for anybody who knows me. Like, I believe that our job is to be mentoring, right? Like, I don't want to be doing things like this. People that are my age shouldn't have to be running for office and trying right. to control shit, right? Like that's not what we're wanting to do. I'm wanting to like go live in the house in the mountains and just mind my business and have chickens. And so my goal is to train and mentor the next generation of people. It is hugely important. And everybody, and I've said this for a long time, if your representative is not mentoring young people to take their position, they are not in this for the right reasons. They're in it for themselves. And that, that goes for every single person who's sitting in Congress that's like 100 years old and has never even thought, maybe I should pass the friggin' baton. She's bad. But like any of them, quite honestly. And yeah, I do support term limits. But even if I didn't, our goal should be to mentor the young people. You know what I mean? Go knit some booties. Go take a Fred Murray dance class. Go find something to do in your leisurely time. 
Um, and so, yeah, for me, that was huge. And even, and when I was running, that was always a very big point that I was making. It's like, I don't, wouldn't want to sit there for any real length of time. I'd want to pass it. And these are the kinds of people that I'm wanting to sort of like, you know, mentor. That's what we're trying to do. One can only hope that that is the case. Obviously, it's been uh, a quiet evening, but that's okay. We have them every once in a while. I knew, actually, I had a feeling tonight based on what was going on with all the live streams when yeah. I was on, because I was just on YouTube right before, and I know, like, Status Quo was live. Because we're, we're not just going to come on and talk about the gossip. We're not just going to talk about Kevin McCarthy. It's not going to happen. No, well, and it's boring. And the Kush Queen will have some very good clips. Yeah. Some really good content. Oh, yeah, no. We'll it's going to be good. We'll put up a, we're going to put up a little clip for Jaden to use for his social media. So uh, for anybody who obviously has questions, remember generationalchange at gmail.com. You can send us uh, suggestions, questions, anything yeah. that you got. Uh, for those that were here this evening, we're very appreciative that you stayed. Uh, certainly hit the like button, share, subscribe, do all that wonderful stuff that we ask you to do all the time. That's very true, Danny. And a lot of us just sort of woke up to that within the past, like, you know, 10 years. Yeah, but we're waking up. And, That's yeah. what matters. Yeah. So. That said, we appreciate you all. Thank you so much, and we'll see you Monday. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.